0: Before I begin my message, let me share this with you. I've been married to our piano player for 52 years last June. Thankful to my God for bringing us together. But the first 10 years of our marriage was without Christ in our lives. I thought I had the world by the tail on a downhill drag. I was... Working in construction, making good money. Had a boat, color television, home. Playing music in a nightclub three nights a week. My social life was great. Had two beautiful sons. But there was a void in my life that I didn't even know about. Till I came under the preaching of God's glorious gospel. And then the Lord touched me. It's like that song we just heard. And I haven't been the same since. I thank God that He saved my soul. And He has given me not only faith to believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior, but an understanding that salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ for me at Calvary 2,000 years ago. I just didn't know about it. I just didn't understand what God had purposed before this world was created for those He ordained to be recipients of His amazing grace. Under the preaching of His glorious Gospel, our God is pleased at the appointed time of His love for each one of His elect to deliver us from the power of darkness and to translate us into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so for the last 42 years, since last June, my wife and I have had the honor and the joy of serving the Lord Jesus Christ together. And through His divine providence, He has brought me to this place here in Rescue to be the pastor of this church And so I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 14. And it could be that some of you here this morning have never heard the Gospel. Please, give me your undivided attention. I have nothing to gain by preaching the truth. You have everything to lose by not believing the truth. And so... I want to bring a message this morning I trust the Lord might be pleased to use to speak to the hearts of His people for the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have been going through this book of Isaiah for several months now. And uh, we spent several weeks in Isaiah chapter 12. And then I brought two messages from the 13th chapter. And... From that 13th chapter of Isaiah, we briefly considered the historical account of the destruction of that wicked city Babylon and that wicked king Belshazzar and all the inhabitants of that land. Isaiah 13 is a prophetic declaration by Isaiah the prophet of what God was going to do he had not yet destroyed Babylon but he gave Isaiah an understanding of the destruction of that city and all of those inhabitants in it exactly what he was going to do and he did just exactly what he told Isaiah he was going to do God says what he means and he means what he says That was the first message from the 13th chapter. The second message we went into, and also in the first message as well, we went into the book of Revelation and showed the spiritual meaning of the destruction of Babylon. In the 17th chapter, we read about Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, the whore that sits on many waters. And the word waters has reference to people. And I brought before you last week that God's wrath is coming. He means what He says. And He tells us in His Word that's coming a day when He's going to destroy this whole world and everyone in it who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ obey His Gospel. That Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, is the spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit that deceives all of the false religionists in this world. Not only those Eastern religions that blatantly deny Jesus Christ, but the majority of professing Christians who think they're going to glory by something they have contributed to their salvation. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you're trusting in your baptism, if you're trusting in meeting on a certain day, if you're trusting in your free will or your decision for Jesus, you are under the spirit of Antichrist. And I know those are strong words. But they need to be preached. They need to be said. God tells us in His Word, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God who shows mercy. I didn't write it, but I believe it. It's not your will, it's not your works, it's God's sovereign mercy. He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. That's in the ninth chapter of Romans, but today's modern Christian followers, they... And that's just a term. They profess to be Christians. They would rather believe the lies of Antichrist than what the Word of God says. So they say, don't take away my free will. I hope God takes that away from you this morning if that's what you're trusting in. Now, it's interesting to me, immediately following, immediately following the prophetic statement of what God was going to do to that wicked city, Babylon. And don't forget, All historical accounts that we read about in the Old Testament have spiritual meanings. And the spiritual meaning of that wicked city that was destroyed points to the spirit of Antichrist, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Immediately following that 13th chapter that prophetically describes God's destruction of Babylon... We read about God's mercy in the first couple of verses of chapter fourteen, which will be our text for this morning's message. Follow along with me as I read these two verses. For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land, and the stringers shall be joined with the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives without whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. Now folks, God does not leave us in despair when He talks about that destruction that's coming, His wrath that is coming. And last week, I... I brought out the words of John the Baptist to some unbelieving Jews when he said, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They thought they were going to heaven because they were Israelites, because they were descendants of Abraham. But John called them nothing but a generation of vipers, slithering snakes, Our Lord Jesus called them hypocrites, whited sepulchers, men that looked good on the outside, but inwardly they were full of dead men's bones. Now, how appropriate for our text following that prophetic statement concerning the destruction of Babylon. Our Lord Jesus did deliver national Israel from their Babylonian captivity. He did restore those Israelites to their own land. But as we have stated many times, if all we get out of what we're reading in the Old Testament is the historical account, we've missed the message altogether. So I want to read this quote by Pastor Don Fortner from this passage of Scripture that we just read in Isaiah 14. He said, we know that the prophecy given in Isaiah 13 and 14 had an immediate reference to the physical seed of Abraham, the nation of Israel, and their deliverance from Babylonian captivity. But those who limit the prophecy to these historical events have missed its message altogether. There are some things spoken of in this text which cannot be applied to the Jews and the Babylonians. There never was a time in history when the Jews carried the Babylonians into captivity. And there never was a time when Israel ruled over Babylon. But if we understand the prophecy spiritually as referring to the salvation of God's elect by Christ Jesus, its interpretation is both easy and practical. The things spoken of in the passage before us will find their perfect accomplishment in the salvation of God's church, the Israel of God, and in every believer." So I've titled this message, the house of Israel. And I want to ask you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, a chapter that some of you are very familiar with, but a chapter I think is very needful concerning the mercy of God on His Jacobs. Our text in Isaiah 14 draws our attention to God's sovereign mercy on Jacob. That salvation cannot be referring to Esau's twin brother. God did have mercy on that man, but Jacob had been dead for hundreds of years when Isaiah penned these words, the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. So Jacob has a spiritual meaning. The same holds true to these words and will yet choose Israel. God had already chosen Israel as a nation. But national Israel, as Brother Steve brought out this morning in his Sunday school lesson, refers to God's spiritual Israel, His church. The house of Israel, God's spiritual Israel, is that body of believers our Lord Jesus purchased with His own blood, His elect, His blood-bought church. And our Lord Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's the Lord Jesus who builds His church under the preaching of the Gospel, revealing the truths concerning Him and what He accomplished for His people under that preaching. Now we must see ourselves... Listen to me. Listen to me. You're a sinner. (coughs) I said that in one of our services some time ago. And a lady jumped up, grabbed her granddaughter and said, I am not a sinner. She stormed out of this church and we've never seen her since. Well, God says you are a sinner. And our Lord Jesus said He came into the world to save sinners. And we just heard in the men's meeting this morning a reading from the third chapter of Romans that describes every one of us. There's none good. No, not one. None righteous. None. There's no fear of God before the eyes of the people. We've all gone astray. In the first place, we sinned in our daddy Adam. When he fell, we were in him. And we all fell in him. And we come into this world with his fallen nature. And we love it. We love the darkness we're in. We love the lies we're under. We don't want to be confused with any facts. We've sinned against our Maker, every one of us, and we rightly deserve God's wrath that's coming. But God has mercy on Jacob. We must see ourselves as nothing but hell deserving Jacob's deserving of nothing but God's eternal wrath There's an article in today's bulletin next to the article written by Pastor Don Fortner on the inside back page of your bulletins titled, The Lord Will Have Mercy on Jacob. Right across from Don Fortner's article. Listen to this. Jacob, in the verse above, has reference to God's elect from every kindred and tongue and people and nation. God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. All of God's chosen blood-bought children were ordained by Him to be recipients of His sovereign mercy. Those and only those who see their need of mercy will receive God's mercy. Under the preaching of His Gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts us of what we are. Sin. Of what we do. Sin. The Holy Spirit will make us see that we in our unregenerate state are like Jacob was before His name was changed to Israel. Nothing but sinful hypocrites, deceivers, supplanters, those who take the place of others, through force or plotting, which is what the name Jacob means. All works religionists are supplanters, deceiving themselves by pretending to be children of God. Their wicked minds plot sinful ways to approach God, ways that are contrary to God's one and only way, which is Jesus Christ and His perfect redeeming work for His chosen people. When by the power of God the Holy Spirit we see Jesus Christ as the one who obtained eternal redemption for us, We fall before Him crying out to God to be merciful to me, the sinner. Then, with the enlightened mind that only God Himself can give, our Lord reveals to His Jacobs those He is pleased to have mercy on that were part of His royal family. When God delivers us from the power of darkness and translates us into the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ our Lord, the Holy Spirit working in us causes us to see that we're members of God's spiritual Israel. We're still plagued with that old sinful nature, but by the miracle of His grace, God has made us partakers of His divine nature. The name Israel means prince with God. Jesus Christ is our exalted King. As His children, we're members of His holy nation, spiritual Israel. When the Lord has mercy on a man, He is a prince with God. When the Lord has mercy on a woman, she is a princess with God. And all of us give our great triune God all the glory for adopting us into His royal family. I thank God, as undeserving as I am, that He was pleased to choose me in Christ before this world was created. And then sent His Son to redeem me with His own precious blood to make me a member of spiritual Israel, a member of that royal family. I thank God the Holy Spirit for divine revelation because God's the only one who can reveal this. We have the honor. God's preachers have the honor of preaching His Gospel to you. But we can't deal with the heart. That's God's work. And so what I'm about to read to you out of Ezekiel chapter 37 is a picture of every chosen member of spiritual Israel, of their condition before God and the power of God in giving us life and bringing us out of that state of spiritual deadness into a relationship with Him giving us eternal life. And if it could be lost, if somebody could take it away from us, it would not be eternal, but it cannot be. He which hath begun a good work in us will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So please, listen to this. This is the Word of God. Ezekiel 37 from verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of dry bones. Now, please get a picture of this in your mind. God comes to Ezekiel, he carries him away in the spirit. This is a vision. Like John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos, he saw a vision. The Lord gave him revelation after revelation. Ezekiel sees this vision. It's the Holy Spirit, God working in Him, that enables Him to see these things. And it's the Holy Spirit, God working in us, which enables us to see the spiritual meaning of these things. Verse 2 says, "...and caused me to pass by them." That is those dry bones, that valley of dry bones. "...he caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley." And lo, they were very dry. Evidently, a great battle had taken place there. Uh, And there's dead people all over. The bones scattered all over the place. Just a vision of nothing but very dry bones bleached in that sun for years and years and years. And we read in verse 3 where Ezekiel said, And He, God Himself, said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? That's a good question. Ezekiel didn't even know how to answer that. He knew he couldn't give them life. And so he answered, Oh Lord God, Thou knowest. If God is pleased to give them life, it's possible, but that's the only way that those bleached bones could come back to life. And that's the way it is when we preach the Gospel. We can't deal with the heart. We can't give a man or a woman eternal life. We can't bring them from a state of spiritual deadness. This valley of dry bones is a picture of the whole body of believers. I know that the whole world is dead in trespasses and sins, but this vision applies to God's church, His chosen people. I'll show you that in just a moment. And God's preachers know that when we are before God, a congregation, this size or any size, or preaching to just one, it, the Gospel can only be made effectual by the power of God the Holy Spirit. We cannot deal with the heart. That's God's business. And all of us are dead in trespasses and sins. And we need the same power that we'll read about here in this vision of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's vision. The same power to bring us out of that. So, this is a good illustration of of the power of God and salvation to all who believe. Listen to this. Again, verse 4. Again, He said unto me, prophesy unto those bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Preach to them. God's telling Ezekiel, preach to those dry bones. I don't know how Ezekiel felt Maybe a little bit like God's preachers today. It would be hopeless if we depended just upon our preaching. But that's not what Ezekiel depended upon and God is showing him that. He says, prophesy unto them. Preach unto them. Oh, you dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. So I preach unto you this morning. Hear the Word of the Lord. Don't listen to to false preachers who deceive you into thinking that you've earned your salvation by something you have done. Don't listen to them. Come away from them. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. God says this. God says this to these dry bones. I will do this. He doesn't say man will do this. He doesn't say the preacher will do this. He doesn't say the soul winner will do this. He says, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Verse 6, And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. This is what God does. Those dry bones came together. We'll see that in a moment. But here we are, dead in trespasses and sins, and we come under the preaching of the Gospel. We think we have a righteousness that we can offer God. How many of you? How many of you have had this thought go through your mind? Well, I've done a few bad things, but I, I'm not a murderer. I, I'm not a child molester. My good's going to outweigh my bad when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, here is something maybe you've never heard. There's no good in you. You don't have any good to outweigh your bad. In your unregenerate state, in my unregenerate state, we're bad. We're sinful. We have nothing to offer God. We need His righteousness. And this is a picture of that. God providing everything that's needful to bring us into a relationship with Him. He gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He covers us. When He gives us faith to believe the Gospel, He covers us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Get a hold of that. When God delivers a hell-deserving sinner from the power of darkness, He makes us as righteous in His sight as Jesus Christ our Lord. And not one thing can be laid to the charge of God's elect. So God says, I'm going to do this. I'll put sinews upon you. And goes right on down saying what He's going to do. And He says, I'll put breath in you. So Ezekiel in verse 7 says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. I preached just like what God commanded me to do. And that's what God commands all of His preachers to do. Preach. Preach. Preach the gospel. That's my business. That's what God has called me to do. I want to help any way I can. If you're having problems in any area of your life, I'd like to be able to help you. I'm not a counselor. But I will take you into the Word of God as He is pleased to allow me to do so and try to give you some Scripture that might cover the situation that you're going through. But my main purpose of standing in this pulpit is to preach the Gospel. That's what God has called me to do. And so Ezekiel says, I, pre- "I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. Listen to this, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. I wonder if that's where they got that song from, you know it <laughs> bone connected to whatever bone. I don't know, but anyway, they came together. God was showing His mighty hand and His His sovereign power in bringing those bones together and putting sinews upon them and covering them with flesh. But the important thing was He breathed the breath of life into them. And when I beheld, it says in verse 8, when Ezekiel beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. That's typical of professing Christians today who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They go about trying to establish their own righteousness and will not submit themselves unto the righteousness of Christ. There's no life in them. They're still dead. But look at verse 9. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And what he's doing, what Ezekiel is doing, is praying. He's praying for God to come in his power. And give these dead bones who've now been covered with sinews and flesh, give them the breath of life. And that's what preachers do. We preach. And then we pray for those we preach to that God might be pleased to make His Word effectual to give them life. So He said, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon them these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded me, He says in verse 10. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Now let me ask you something. What did Ezekiel contribute to those dead bones living? He preached to them. He prayed for them. But the results were in the hands of a sovereign God who gave life to those dead bones. And that's exactly what happens when a man experiences the new birth. Like Lee and John were saying about earlier, He touched me. So verse 11 says, Then He said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's our message this morning. The house of Israel. These bones are the whole house of Israel. These bones typified God's church, spiritual Israel. These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore, Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye you know that I am the Lord, and have spoken it, and have performed it, saith the Lord. And folks, that's a picture of God saving grace and all of those that He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world and all of those that Jesus Christ our Savior laid down His life for. And God says, I've done this. I'm the one who has done this. Now, let me take you over to Ephesians chapter 2. I won't be much longer, but we've canceled our services for this evening. So, give me a few more minutes of your time and allow me the honor of showing you in Scripture these truths concerning spiritual Israel. God and His honor that He bestows upon His preachers that tells us, lets us know that we cannot give life to our hearers, but we can preach to them. We cannot change their wicked heart, but we can pray for them. God's preachers can do absolutely nothing to make the Gospel of God's sovereign grace effectual. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He alone can give life to a hell-deserving sinner dead in trespasses and sins. Now, these words that I'm going to read to you, and I'm just going to read to them in a cursory fashion, point to something that was not revealed in the Old Testament as it was revealed to the writers of the New Testament. It was hinted at. There's there's portions of Scripture that we cannot miss in respect to the truths concerning the Gentiles being brought into the relationship with God with the Jews and there being one body. Those things were hinted at in the Old Testament. But it was revealed to the New Testament writers, to God's apostles, those who wrote uh, His Word here in the New Testament, that what took place at Calvary tore down the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Greek. This religious generation, and it's been around for several generations are trying to build that wall or partition back up to make a distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. Giving them a false hope. The Jews a false hope that they are going to inherit the Kingdom of God because they're Abraham's natural posterity. That's a false hope. Someone asked a preacher one time, if you had a message all prepared and a Jew came into your congregation, would you change your message? (laughs) Why would we do that? The Jews need the same message that the Gentiles need. We need to hear about Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, where He is now, what He's doing now. We need to hear the message that God has ordained as that instrument that delivers His people out of darkness. Whether we're Jew or Greek, we need that message. So follow along with me. Starting at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Wherefore, remember that ye being... In time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So the, those who are far off are referring to the Gentiles. Verse 14 says, For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of two, one new man, so making peace. Now the message is here If we'll believe it, God has His elect from every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation out of the nation of Israel and out of the Gentile nations as well. And the Lord laid down His life for His chosen people from all of those different nations. Look at verse 16, "...and that He might reconcile both, that is, Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby." "...and came and preached peace to you which were afar off," that's us, the Gentiles, "...and to them that were nigh," that's the Jews, "...for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God." One body. One body. Ephesians 4 tells us there's only one body, one Lord, one hope, one Father over all of us. Read on. Verse 20, And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building... I said earlier, our Lord Jesus said, I will build My church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're His building. God reaches right down in that old quarry where we were wallowing in sin nothing good in us polluted by our own sinful works he lifts us right out of that court sets us on the solid rock the lord jesus christ the sure foundation washes us in his blood puts a new song in our hearts yea he even praise unto his name and he touches us with his spirit giving us the assurance that jesus paid it all all to him i owe sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow and so we're all that building that Paul is writing about here in verse 21 of chapter 2, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If Christ dwells in you, Christ in you the hope of glory, you're God's building. Christ Himself has put you into His body. Look at verse 22. In whom you also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Paul goes on in chapter 3 on this very same subject. He says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation, the stewardship of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore a few words, that's in chapter two, the mystery, which whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, was not made known unto the saints of men, unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles, catch this, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the Gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. So there's no mistaking, folks, there's no mistaking this wonderful truth that Jesus Christ is the head of His church, His body, And that His body is made up of sinners that He saves by His grace through His precious blood of every kindred and tongue and tribe and nation. Matter of fact, it says that in the book of Revelation, the 5th chapter, that God has redeemed us out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Not redeemed the whole world. He didn't redeem the whole world. He redeemed His elect out of these nations. And so the Word of God teaches this. It's not obscure. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ tells us in Galatians 3, you don't have to turn there. I'm just about to hang on just a little bit. In Galatians 3, verses 26-29, through 29, we read, "...For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise." And then, we read this in Romans two twenty eight and 29, "...for He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but He is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the Spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God." So, if the Holy Spirit is in us, we're a spiritual Jew. We're of, the, we're of that holy nation. Spiritual Israel. God has brought us into this wonderful relationship with Him and with other believers as His holy nation, as His chosen people. And we give Him all the praise and all the glory for His unspeakable gift, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I remind you of Ezekiel's vision in that valley of dry bones and God's power in giving life to all of those dry bones as I close with this passage of Scripture right here in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I hang on to this. Hang on to this. This is good. It's good if Christ dwells in you. If He doesn't dwell in you, you won't even like this. This will be foolishness to you. But the Gospel is foolishness to them that perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So listen. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you hath He quickened. That word means made alive. And you hath He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, just as dead spiritually as those bones we read about in Ezekiel's vision in chapter 37. Just as dead spiritually as Lazarus was physically when our Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And I'm going to tell you, he could not have come forth. He could not have heard the word of Jesus Christ if he had not come alive. And it was life that preceded him hearing the voice of Jesus Christ and that's the way it is with those who believe the Gospel. God sends the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. We're quickened by the Holy Spirit. Before we understand that it's the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to us, before we realize or really know for sure what has happened to us, but I know this for a fact, every true believer knows this. Once I was blind, but now I see. We know we were dead in trespasses and sins and God Himself is the One who quickened us. Read on. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world it says in verse 2 according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also now Paul doesn't say you He includes Himself in this number among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us there. The Holy Spirit doesn't cause us to be in despair because we know that we served Satan, that we were just full of lustful desires. He goes on to say in verse 4, But God, but God... Oh, oh, I wish people could get a hold of that. Not you, not your preacher, not your church, but God. God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And folks, there are message after message after message in all of those verses. But the point is, we're God's spiritual Israel if He has brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. In the first chapter of this book, God tells us we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world by God the Father. He tells us we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ And that God Himself appointed us unto the adoption of sons. And He tells us not only in that first chapter, but right here that it's the Holy Spirit that makes the Gospel effectual in us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to take the things of Christ and reveal them to His people. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe salvation is of the Lord from start to finish, that God purposed your salvation before a star ever twinkled in the sky. Let me quote a verse to you. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ by Himself purged your sins, if you don't believe that He obtained eternal redemption for you, and if you don't believe that you are out of darkness, that God has delivered you from the spirit of Satan's antichrist, you're still dead in trespasses and sins. And like I said last Sunday, God's wrath is coming. And in His word, he tells us he's willing to show his wrath. Flee, flee from the wrath to come. Flee to Christ, the only safe hiding place from the wrath to come. I have given you the Gospel this morning. I have taken you right into God's Word. I have shown you what the Word of God says about the salvation of God's elect. If you are so hard-hearted, and set in your own ways that you refuse to believe what I have preached, then the wrath of God abides on you. But, if God has graciously brought you out of that awful state of spiritual deadness and into a living union with Himself, you can be joyful and thankful not now, but for all eternity as well. And you will sing our closing hymn with unspeakable joy and praise to our God who redeemed us with His own precious blood. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it.